Welcome to episode 32 of the Running Around Baltimore podcast. I am your host, Glenn Smith. Before we get into our new episode, let's take a minute to recap episode 31. In episode 31, we shared race reports from the Funt 25K, the Eternal Winter 6-Hour Race, the Louisiana Half Marathon, and the Gin Riot. We also shared a conversation introducing the Enoch Pratt Free Library Community Runs with BRRC, a full calendar of March 2020 races, a new destination run in Annapolis, and a featured interview with Insung Kim. Insung is a recreational runner who was just starting to ramp up her training in 2019 when she faced the greatest medical challenge of her life. Instead of dropping running to focus on her recovery, she used running to remain strong and keep pushing towards big goals at the end of the year. She has a real joy for running in life that really shines through in her interview, so I hope you'll really enjoy that. What if you missed it? In episode 32, I interview Ryan McGrath, a longtime fixture on the running and triathlon circuit, who has an uncanny ability to engage others in his adventures and to bring people together in our community. We'll meet Ryan in a few minutes, but first, let's start with some race reports. For a race report on the GPS 8-miler run on January 26, 2020, and the Super Bowl trail race run on February 2nd of 2020, I want to welcome Frank Sinappi of the Faster Bastards onto the podcast. Thanks for coming on, Frank. Hey, Glenn. It's nice to be here. Well, Frank, you've really burst on the local running scene. In the I remember first encountering you at the, the BRC GPS half last October, which you won. Uh, you know, so how did you end up here in Baltimore? So I actually went to school up in upstate New York at uh, Rensselaer Polytech, and I did uh, track and cross country up there. And then I just kind of graduated, got a job down in Baltimore and moved down and just kind of kept it up with the running. Yeah, well, and, uh, you know, you've definitely been putting together some pretty impressive times. Uh, Frank, let's talk about the GPS 8 miler uh, that you ran in January. There was a whole bunch of real fast runners out there for a low key club race. Uh, you know, what was that like running with so many talented runners in, in such a small race? Yeah, it was really fun just kind of having that sense of everyone being out there just kind of to get in a nice hard race in, not really for any other motive. Um, I, know, I know for me it was kind of a rust buster after taking a bit of a break in like the December time frame. And I'm pretty sure a lot of other people who are out there were doing a similar thing. Yeah, definitely. And it's always good. You know, weather conditions weren't too bad. Uh, you know, it's definitely good to push it every now and then, especially if you've got some other folks out there pushing you along. Uh, how'd you feel out there on that uh, that challenging road course uh, along the reservoir? So I was like really pleasantly surprised with how that race went. That was actually on the tail end of the longest mileage week I've ever done. That was my first time hitting 100 miles in a week, so I didn't really feel good but it's just kind of like grinding pushing against it i guess it was fun yeah what kind of a uh, strategy did you bring into the race 
So at first I was kind of hoping I'd be able to contend to be like up front. And then, well, obviously at the start, Jeremy and Garrett, two very fast people in the local scene, kind of took it out way ahead. So it kind of just became a race for third. Um, so then I was just basically trying to hold on to hard enough pace to be able to bring it in behind those two. Yeah, do you have anything left uh, coming out? Uh, I've done that race before, and I know it's uh, tough. You've got a lot more downhill in the beginning, and then you got to climb back up to the uh, to the dam uh, on that one. And uh, to be able to bring it in, there's quite a bit more uphill. Uh, how much you have left in the tank, especially on the end of a long uh, training week there? Yeah, that was definitely like on the way out, kind of having to consciously like not work too hard, especially like, coming through mile three, just going down that giant hill and being like, oh man, I have to turn around and come right back up this. Um, I, I, I've been out there like once before, so I kind of knew that there was that giant hill on the way back, but I, it's been a few months and I'd forgotten just how awful it is. So yeah, that, that was definitely like, that, that gassed me pretty hard. After that, I was struggling to stay on the pace that I had had before that. Yeah, there's definitely something to be said for having a, a bit of experience out there on that course. Uh, you know, it, it's a popular training route for, for us county runners, but, uh, you know, I know you run much more in the city, so it takes a little bit of getting used to out there. But congratulations on, uh, you know, doing so well on that challenging uh, course. And you must not have felt too bad after all that training and that hard race because the very next Sunday, February 2nd, you're back at it again. This time on the trails at the Super Bowl trail race, another BRRC event. Uh, had you been doing much training on the trails prior to that one? So I always wanted to do a lot of trail running, and I just never really end up making it out. Um, so I, I live in South Baltimore, so it's easy to just get out the door and run around like on the sidewalks and stuff. But if I want to do trails, I have to like drive out someplace. So I end up just kind of not getting out there anywhere near as much as I want. So I haven't really. I think the last time I've been on the trails was actually the Night Moves Trail race, which was also a BRC race at the same park, just a little bit shorter. So it's been a while. Yeah, yeah, that would have been back in July. So, you know, you definitely had a, a big gap of time in there. And, uh, you know, the conditions can be a little rough out there uh, at Cromwell Valley. You know, it catches a lot of runoff. Uh, what were the trails like that morning? So it, I'm pretty sure it had rained the night before. So there was... A lot of mud going on. Um, it was definitely nicer than when I did the night moves race because, well, for one, I could see, but also there wasn't like a layer of leaves everywhere. So you could at least see the ground. But yeah, for the most part, I mean, the, tra the trails were pretty solid. Um, even with like a couple of muddy patches, it's mostly nice, solid footing. Probably the hardest thing to get around was all the fallen trees everywhere. <laughs> Yeah, no doubt about that. And, uh, you know, that's a pretty tough course out there. Uh, so, I, uh, you, But you knew you what the challenge was going to be, and uh, I'm sure you were up for it. And again, you had another big crew of uh, faster bastards out there, so it looked like a pretty good crew. Uh, how'd you do in this one? So it was the same distance as the week before, and I think it was almost 10 minutes slower. So, <laughs> And the, the trails definitely slowed it down a bit. And I, I was also feeling, um, I had done a 20 mile long run the day before and like right from the gun, my quads were feeling that it was, I was walking up most of the uphills. It was definitely a lot rougher than the race the week before. Yeah, it's, it's definitely not, uh, not too comparable having to pick your way over roots and rocks. And, uh, 
That was a pretty good uh, size hill there uh, out at Cromwell Valley that Bart likes to make everyone run up or walk up, I should say. Uh, so you know, to only have to shave 10 minutes off uh, transitioning over the trails over eight miles, that really isn't too bad. So uh, sounds like you had a had a pretty good time out there. Uh, so congrats on that. And uh, you know, tell everybody a little bit about what they had uh, in store for you post-race. So yeah, after the race, there were what seemed to be limitless tubs of smoked pork. And one of the guys from Faster Bastards, Mike Vale, had his tr- pickup truck parked. And we were, uh, as he called it, trailgating. <laughs> so, you know, bumping some music, uh, drinking beer, and just eating pork. So definitely a nice relaxed vibe after a really brutal race. Yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, it's Super Bowl Sunday. It's a, you know, get the tailgating started early. Uh, you know, I know they always have a pretty good uh, spread of food out there uh, to kind of get things kicked off. So uh, it's definitely a reason why, you know, a few hundred people always show up for this one each year uh, for, again, just another low-key club trail race that, that Bart Rain puts on. So, well, uh, I want to thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing with us, Frank. Uh I know that you probably got some uh, some plans for spring racing. Uh, you know, what do you have on deck? So the big one right now is Boston. Um, that's what I'm trying to peak for at the end of spring. But on the way, I've also got the uh, Club Challenge 10-miler. Really looking forward to that one. And then I'm doing uh, DC Rock and Roll Half. Sweet. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to that Club Challenge as well. Excited to see if BRC can move up the rankings a little bit from last year. You know, we did okay, but, uh, you know, it seems like we're, we're putting together a pretty uh, solid crew to, to maybe give those folks over at Falls Road a little bit more of a challenge than we did last year. So uh, I'll be looking forward to seeing you there. And uh, Boston, did you have a goal in mind for that one or just, uh, you know, come through it with a nice strong effort? So the weather's always a pretty harsh factor at Boston, so I'm trying not to focus too much on numbers. I'd love to drop like five minutes off of my PR, so go around like a 235, but mostly I just want to have fun there, trying not to get too bogged down if it's another, you know, either brutally hot day or brutally cold day or both. Or, you know, torrential rain and 40 mile an hour winds or whatever like they had a few years ago. Yeah, I guess with Boston, there's always that variable. And uh, more than anything else, it's a heck of an experience. So uh, hopefully, uh, you know, you'll have a good day out there one way or the other. And, uh, you know, maybe we'll have to hear about it when it's over. Uh, So thanks again for coming on, Frank. And uh, we'll catch up with you soon. Thanks so much for having me, Glenn. Talk to you soon. For a race report on the Algonquin 50K, which was held on Saturday, February 8th, I want to welcome Rachel Rosenblatt back to the podcast. Thanks for coming on, Rachel. Thanks for having me, Glenn. Yeah, it's always great to have you on. And, uh, you know, for those who are new to this program, uh, you know, maybe haven't heard of Algonquin before, tell us a little bit about this race and, uh, you know, what it holds in store for the runners. So the Algonquin 50K is a 50-kilometer, you know, ish race on the eastern shore um it started i believe four years ago this is my third time running it um so if you've been down to the eastern shore you might think well there's no hills there and that's pretty true at least in this area this area is the pocomoke state forest um and it's really pretty flat but when you have a pretty flat 
trail, that means that when there's rain, it doesn't have anywhere to go. So the race, while flat, um, has its other hazards, which are mud, sand, and freezing water. But it's really a ton of fun. Yeah, and it definitely has been sort of gaining in popularity over the last few years. And I know that that's, uh, you know, a lot in due to, to Trent Swanson really mm-hmm. pumping it up online. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a really engaging race director. So, as you said, this is your third year. You know, you're a loyal Algonquin at this point, so you're no stranger to this race. Uh, you knew it was going to be challenging. Uh, you know, what have you been doing recently to sort of get yourself prepared for it? Um, well, I have been running a lot of long races or and long runs. Uh, I also wanted to, you know, try and get back to the intervals, the run walk intervals, because when you have a flat race, you don't have those hills that will make you walk. So I thought, well, if I do a run walk, uh, which is what I did the first year, last year, my, my uh, little timer thing didn't work. So I kind of had to wing it. Um, but the first year, that was what got me through. I mean, I finished with only five minutes to spare, but I got through. And I felt like I'd really been better trained this year in terms of my endurance. And so I, so I thought it would go pretty well. Um, and I, I knew what the water would be like, or, or so I thought, because two years ago, there was a lot of water on the course as well. And it rained the three days leading up to this race. So I thought, okay, the water situation is going to be similar to a couple of years ago. Um but a couple of years ago, the weather was a lot warmer. So while there was a ton of water on the course, um, it was a lot warmer out. And so what I wasn't quite prepared for was when you run through these stretches of water, and we're not talking little puddles, we're talking 50 feet at a time of shin high water. The water's so cold that when you get through that water, you can't feel your feet. So, so you're running on, on numb feet. Um, for for a little bit and that was a little it was hard to to deal with a couple times I I just kept thinking you know are my feet gonna warm up and you knew that they would if you kept moving but it it was it was difficult at times to go through these stretches of of freezing cold water and you wanted to get through them quickly because you didn't want to be in the water so long but you also can't really see what you're stepping on so you don't want to fall in the water (laughs) so it's a little bit of a balance and the the other thing about this race is Yes, there's all this water. So you might think, well, let me go around it. Well, if you try and go around the water, you will get scratched and speared by all the briars that are along the sides of the trail. Uh, the first year that I ran it, I tried to go around at first. And I, literally, I had briars poking through my shirt and sticking me and scratching me. And I quickly realized that that was not the way to go. So, um, you know, I, I wasn't completely prepared for the cold of the water and, and, you know, how numb my feet would be. But, but otherwise I felt like I was, I was, you know, pretty prepared for it, except for my pacing, which didn't go so well. (laughs) So, I mean, just thinking about this race coming into it, you know, you've been sort of right around that, you know, the eight hour cutoff uh, Mm -hmm. each of the first two years. Uh, Mm -hmm. Was it pacing? That was your biggest concern. Was it course conditions? Uh, you've been trained up pretty well. I mean, uh, you know, kind of what were your focuses coming into race day that, uh, you know, you wanted to really work on? Um, really just keeping up with my nutrition and the pacing. I've, I've found that lately I've been running, um, more by feel, which doesn't always work out. So, uh, for this particular race, I started off 
Um, one thing about this race is you, know, you have all the aid stations, of course, which there's six aid stations. And then you also have these signs every five kilometers. So every five kilometers, it'll tell you, hey, you've done 5K, you have 45 more to go. And then there's also one that says you've, you've run a marathon. Um, so I was looking at the signs because, of course, they don't mat. The signs are matching up with a 31 mile race, but it's really 32 miles. So I'm trying to adjust in my head, you know, where where I am in terms of that eight hour cutoff. And I realized that even with the run walk on um, the 10K pace, I was so my PR is 637 on a non technical trail. I was at a 615 pace through 10K and that was doing run walk. I was like, uh oh. So then at 25K, I was at a 650 pace, and I was still like, uh, uh-oh, it's probably still too fast. And sure enough, once I got to the turnaround, I was like, oh, which is the turnaround is actually not midway. The turnaround is about mile 17.1, which doesn't mean it's a 34-mile race. That's just what they call the turnaround. Um, and so I, at that point, I was just kind of was like, oh, <laughs> and, and I got very, very slow. Um, but. Randy Rittenauer, who has been on the web, the podcast, you know, who did that in, immersive Pemberton race report, he caught me right around that time. And so we stuck together for the rest of the race. And he, you know, he's tall. So trying to keep up with him kept me going and, and you know, I got through it. But, um, you know, I just was kind of run walking, thinking that that was going to solve all the problems. And clearly that that's not it. I have to go slower on the running if even if I'm doing run walk. So. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so how did the race turn out for you? Uh, you know, I knew that you had been running really strong coming into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, know, you worked on your strategy. Uh, you weren't coming into it dinged up. I feel like right. last year you might have been a little bit uh, hampered coming into the race. Um, right. Did you end up, you know, ha- having a good race out there? And, and I, did. Uh, I did have a good race. So um, if you if you see some of the pictures, that I posted, there's a picture of me pointing at a disco ball in the trail. Somebody hung a disco ball in the middle of the trail. So, you know, Randy and I stopped and took a picture of that. And, um, you know, I, I was able to eat. One of the things that this race is, they have, of course, traditional trail food and everything, but they have some unusual stuff at the aid stations. So this year they had this, I, wanna, I think it's called like French toast corn, but made out of cornbread cubes. And that was absolutely delicious. But the one thing that I regretted last year, because I was just so out of it being sick and everything, was that I didn't taste the Smith Island cake. They have Smith Island cake, which is a a traditional cake from the Eastern Shore area. It comes in all these different flavors. And they had cake at all the aid stations and at the finish line. And I just completely missed it last year. I I didn't get any. So this year, my focus was I'm going to have cake at least once. I didn't think eating cake an entire race was going to be a good idea but I wanted to have at least some cake so I had a little piece of chocolate cake it was a chocolate chocolate cake so that was delicious um I did fall um around mile 26 and I I don't seem to be hurt from that um but Randy and I just kept talking about you know the time that we had and I built up such a cushion that even with going slower you know I still was able to improve my time on the course by 22 minutes um I would have liked to have been a little bit faster but you know, I also, um, as long as I wasn't going to miss the cutoff, you know, I was okay with it. So it, it went pretty well. Just, you know, I was hoping to be, I guess, a little closer to seven hours if I could have been. But, you know, it, it, it worked out pretty well. 
Yeah, you set a course PR, and uh, you know I saw you the day after your the race, and despite your fall, uh, you looked like you were weren't feeling too much uh, worse for wear. So uh, you know I'd say that's a pretty good day on the trails, especially considering uh, you know how numb your feet were and how cold and wet it was out there. Yeah, I think that's one thing that's happened over the years is because I do seem to run a lot of long races, even though I may not be you know very fast at them or do long training. I seem to recover pretty well from them. So I really, except for my feet being kind of puffy, uh, which happens all the time in, in these long races, I really wasn't sore. So, um, you know, I was pretty happy about that. And, you know, the, the, all the people I knew down there running, um, you know, it was great to see them. There's the, the way the course works. I didn't really go over this, but you go out and it, it, there's like a kind of a lollipop and then a spur. So there are a couple of sections where you will see people coming towards you. And it was really great to see, you know, a lot of the BRC members who are down there running or just people from Patapsco Trail Junkies, people from, you know, all different local groups on this side of the bridge, um, you know, running the race and, and cheering each other on and everything. Um, and, you know, so, so that that was really great as well. And of course, then I saw some of them uh, the next day, you know, at, at the, when I was volunteering at the next race. So, yeah, that's fantastic. So uh, I know that you don't usually put a whole lot of uh, empty space on your schedule. Uh, <laughs> what sort of uh, events do you have coming up over the next couple of months? Uh, <laughs> well, um, I have another 50K this week, uh, the Mid-Maryland 50K, which you know, if I don't finish it, it's not the end of the world. It's loops. Um, I'm going to see how I feel. It may be muddy. Then I have uh, the club challenge 10 miler, which is always challenging. Every time I do it, um, I wonder why I'm doing it because it's really it's it's a hilly course out there. And then the week after that, I have Hoshua Hills 50K. So the reason I signed up for Mid Maryland was Hoshua Hills is a lottery. And I was concerned that I wouldn't get into the lottery and Mid-Maryland would sell out. And I should have just waited to see if I got in on the lottery. But I signed up for Mid-Maryland um, in the meantime. So uh, I have Hoshua Hills. And then the week after that, I signed up for Miocene again. Um, hopefully, I can make the cutoff this year for the, the full 50K and not just the long marathon. Then I think it kind of dies down a bit. It may drop to maybe 150K a month after that. <laughs> So you're going to be taking it easy, just 150k a month, you know, no bigs, you know. Yeah, I think I think that's what happens. Well, well, there might be two in March. Then I might do Miocene. I haven't signed up yet, and then after that, I think I dropped to maybe one a month. But yeah, I don't know. I I know it's it's a lot, but I like it so. Yeah, you're having fun with it, so that's all that really matters. But the real question I have. Uh, it, to put you on the spot a little bit. I mean, after running with Randy and mm -hmm. uh, you seem to like Trent's races, what about taking on the uh, the Pemberton 24 in the fall? Uh, have you given any thought to that craziness? So the timing doesn't work very well um, this year with the with the Jewish holidays. Um, I think I'd looked at the dates and it, it just it just wasn't going to work out very well. But I also don't think I do well with sleep deprivation. Um, stopping and starting. I, I'm not sure. I also don't love loops. So, <laughs> so it doesn't sound like it's 
the right kind of race for me, but some of the other races, if they fit in, you know, Tuckahoe or, um, I think blades is coming up. I'm not going to that one this year. That's a 10 or a 20 miler on the Eastern shore. And then there's in the summer, the nailer, nailer mill seven miler, I think, where I think the theme of that one is they end up with like a bacon team, a scrapple team and a veggie team, um, some sort of competition. And, they're always struggling to find veggie people. So I could be a veggie person for the veggie team if, if I make it out to that one. Um, but Pemberton, I don't know. I know everybody had a great time and everything. I'm just not sure it's the right format for me. Yeah, I understand. And obviously with, uh, you know, uh, observance of holidays, I can totally understand that too. But, you know, you got to stick to your strengths. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be hard to fill up team veggie as a... As, uh... Eastern Shore local myself, uh, you know, that, that's kind of hard <laughs> to sell. We're, we're mostly Team Scrapple down there, but, uh, you know, it, it's good to be able to get a few people in Team Veggie. Somebody's got to be running healthy out there. But, uh, <laughs> all right, Rachel, thank you so much for coming on again, uh, as always, and for sharing your experiences at uh, Algonquin. We'll have to catch up after one of your monthly uh, 50Ks in the future. <laughs> Thanks, Glenn. For a race report on the Cupid's Crush 5-miler run on Sunday, February 9th of 2020, I want to welcome Langston Gash of uh, Charm City Elite uh, to the podcast. Langston, thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, Langston, you graduated from Stevenson uh, in spring of 2019, and then you sort of burst on the local road running scene late last summer at the dreaded Druid Hills 10K with a strong third-place finish. And then you, know, you jumped into a few 5Ks, 10Ks, then had a really impressive win at the NCR half, uh, you know, in a 111. Uh, so how's your trading been going for you uh, since you transitioned from collegiate running to, uh, you know, road running on your own? Uh, it's It's been going really good. It was a, a bit of an adjustment. You know, you go from collegiate running where you have a group of maybe 10, 15 guys that you train with on a pretty much a daily basis. And then you go from that to doing, I'd say for me, about 85, 90% of all my training is done on my own. So uh, that was a pretty big adjustment for me. Uh, I think I handled it pretty well. And I've been, I'm just glad I was able to still maintain, you know, working 40 hours a week. I work at the National Aquarium, so I'm there 40 hours a week. And I'm still able to, on top of that, still get in, you know, 70 plus miles a week in training. So uh, that's been going pretty well. And I've, I've been pretty happy with that. Um, in terms of the actual training, the stuff I've been doing, it's not too much different from everything that I was doing in college. Uh, obviously, since I'm not doing cross country anymore, it's shifted to roads. Uh, I am doing a little bit more workouts on the road themselves, maybe some road tempos. But even the stuff I'm doing on the roads is really just a derivative of the things that I was doing uh, in college. Because uh, my, my high school, my college coach, Dave Berdan, um, he would actually... We would actually, there were certain parts of the season we wouldn't even really step onto the track that much. <laughs> We'd actually just do a lot of like road loops and tempos and, you know, hill repeats and things like that. So uh, the training that he's giving me right now, it's stuff that I'm, I'm pretty well familiar with. Sure. And uh, yeah, your, your coach there, Dave Burdan, is a very uh, veteran road runner from the local area. Most people know him as a two-time winner of the Baltimore Marathon and uh, he won mm -hmm. in CR one year. Uh, how much of an influence was he in encouraging you to, 
you know, continue competing in races after college, especially on the road? Uh, I would say in terms of uh, influencing me to continue competing, he actually didn't influence me at all. Only, and I say that because, um, of course, he wanted me to still compete uh, post-collegiately, but that was just something I had already made up in my mind uh, pretty early on into my college racing career. I was like, you know, regardless of how my college career pans out, I definitely still want to keep racing and training afterwards because, you know, I'm only going to be 21, 22 years old. I got a lot more racing left in me. And uh, he was more than happy to oblige me in my training. And so we've been doing this. uh, It'll be about five years now, including college, that he's been my coach. And it's I mean, it's going great. And he uses his resources and things like that to help me get into races, you know, waive a, a, you know, occasional race fee and whatnot. So he's been more than helpful in helping me on my uh, road racing transition. Yeah, that's fantastic. And, uh, you know, it's great that you still had a, you know, a passion and a love for the sport after, you know, high school and college. Sometimes there's a bit of burnout there, but, uh, you know, it's obvious that you still have a passion for it and a love for it to want to keep going. So, uh, you know, you get into... Uh, the dreaded Druid Hills uh, 10K in August, uh, you know, much different time period, but the course is pretty similar to what you ran yesterday for Cupid's Crush. So uh, did that give you some extra confidence coming into this race since, uh, you know, you kind of knew what you had in store for you? Uh, well, gave me some confidence. It also made me a little bit nervous just because I was having flashbacks of uh, Druid Hill back in the summer, and I, all I kept thinking of was those monster hills around, like, miles four and five. Um, but you know, to try to help with that problem, we just, you know, over the winter on a weekly basis, I've been doing some pretty good hill tempo workouts to, you know, get my body used to the hills that I can expect there. Um, I don't know. I I would say overall Druid Hills definitely did help me though with, uh, preparing for this race that I did yesterday. Uh, there are a couple, I was worried about how I was going to do, but, um, I think that, you know, taking into consideration when I did Druid Hill back in, I think it was like mid or late August, I can't remember. Um, When I did that, I was kind of, that was my first race coming back from my last track race, which was in May. And so I kind of went into it knowing I I wasn't in as good a shape as I was in yesterday. Um, But I was just going to try and go out there and put in a good effort. Uh, If I could do that race again, though, I'd probably take it out a little bit slower and not try and go as fast as I did because uh, I felt good for like three or four miles and I just fell apart the last couple. But uh, so I just went into yesterday, keeping all that in mind and consideration. I just, you know, made sure to run within myself. And even though the pace was quick, me and Jeremy had a good pace. I knew that I was running within myself and I wasn't overexerting energy. So I definitely took the things that I learned and I learned when to pick it up and when to kind of back off and just, you know, run the hill smart. So I'm definitely thankful I ran the Druid Hill course back in August, so I knew what to expect and how to race it, for sure. Yeah, let's let's talk strategy that you had for Cupid's Crush here. Was your strategy just to take it out a little bit slower and run your own race, or, you know, knowing that Jeremy Ardenoy, one of the, you know, premier road racers in the area, was going to be in there, were you kind of dedicated to kind of matching him stride for stride for as long as you could? Uh, so tell us a little bit about, you know, what your plan was and and of course how the race played out for you yeah sure so going into the race um i wasn't i knew from last year's results that jeremy had run the race and from the results and from the time he ran it looked like he kind of was just uh chilling on it like a tempo run or something like that so i wasn't sure if he was going to be here again this year so 
my plan was initially, if he wasn't there, I was still going to take it out hard and just see where I was at in terms of my fitness. And then the plan was if he was there and he was racing it pretty hard, I was just going to stick with him and try and match him for as long as I could. So uh, it turned out it was the latter option and uh, saw him on the starting line. You know, we kind of said what's up to each other. Then as soon as the gun went off, like almost not instantly, but, you know, pretty soon after me and him kind of separated from the rest of the field. And uh, I'd say for the first two or three miles, we were just cruising at a pretty good pace. And then, uh, you know, we were both feeling good and just running side by side for most of the race. Uh, And then once we started hitting those hills over like the latter portion of the race, we still stayed side by side. Uh, The plan was going on the hills. I knew that was going to be the toughest part. And because of where they're uh, set up on the race, they're set up during the, uh, you know, latter portions of the race. I knew that my legs were probably going to be feeling a little heavy. So the plan was going up the hills, just, you know, basically either draft off of Jeremy or just kind of run side by side with them and just keep up with them. So I think uh, even though it wasn't our plan going into it, we kind of did use each other just to get through those hills. And then once we got to the top of each hill, just tried to pick up the momentum again. I think that's kind of what we were both doing. Uh, Then we get to, I guess, fast forward to, I'd say about 800 meters left in the race. We just got up the last hill. I wasn't really sure where we were. I was trying to look for a mile marker, like the four-mile marker, so I knew uh, how much longer I had to go. I must have ran by it and not realized it or something like that. So uh, we get to about 800 meters left, and I see that he's starting to, like, pick up the pace more. So I'm like, okay, I guess we're getting closer to the finish. So, you know, I, I you know tried to match it up with him. And because, although I ran the Druid Hill course in uh, – August, that's a 10K. This was a five-miler, so the finish was a little bit different. So I wasn't exactly sure how far we were from the finish. And then uh, we get to about 300 meters left, and then I can we can visibly see the finish line. And so from there, I saw he was starting to kick. He was starting to get away from me. And uh, I, was, I think I went with him for a little bit, and then with about 150, maybe 200 meters to go, he just pulled away from me a little bit. And I saw him he looked behind his shoulder to see how far away I was from him. And I was trying to just dig down and find another gear. But uh, I guess I didn't have it that day. I guess I waited too long to kick. And by the time I decided to start kicking, he uh, was too close to the finish line. But uh, overall, I was happy with how the race went. Uh, going into it, I wanted to see if I could break 26 on that course. Uh, I thought if I could break 26 on that course, that would show I'm in a pretty good shape to run a fast 5K later on as well as a pretty fast 8K, which are in the plans. Uh, but I'll settle for 26.11, especially when uh, I was thinking about it actually earlier today. There were a couple of spots on the course, uh, I think around mile three and a half or so, you're going downhill, and it's a winding downhill, and the turns are kind of sharp. So I think both me and Jeremy, we had to slow down noticeably a lot so that we didn't slip or you know fall or whatever the case was. So I think you have to take... Uh, a couple seconds off of both of our times for that, as well as shortly after the first mile, uh, we kind of got confused and we went off course for like a second or two. So we lost maybe one or two seconds there because we had to turn around and get back on course. So I think with all that stuff in consideration, under better circumstances, I think we definitely both have been sub 26. But uh, overall, the race went good. I couldn't ask for more. And it was a good tune up for the uh, 10 mile challenge on February 23rd. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, 
you know, other than the 10 mile challenge, uh, you know, you've really been, you know, cutting your teeth in some very competitive races. You haven't been a high volume racer, but the ones you've picked have tend to be pretty competitive up to that half marathon distance. Yeah. Uh, outside of a, a fast 10 miler at the club challenge, are there any other races or goals that you're preparing for, you know, maybe in the first half of 2020? Yeah, for sure. Um, so with the Charm City Run Elite team that I'm going to be on, uh, all of the athletes are entered into the B3 Racing Series. So the first one on that is the Shamrock 5K. So that's March 15th. So uh, I'm just really using this 10-miler. I'm going to race it and, and try and race it hard and see what I can do. But also I'm just really using that as a strength workout to see, you know, what kind of strength gains I can get from that so that I can run a fast 5K there. I want to go sub 15 there and i you know from the looks of the field and who's going to be in it you know tyler muse jeremy you know two of the top guys in the longer distances i think there's definitely going to be a good chance that maybe we all go sub 15 which would be great uh after that i'm going to go down to virginia beach the week after that and they have an 8k there and uh, my buddy i'm actually pretty good friends with tyler muse he did the uh half marathon there last year and he said that pretty much it's pancake flat like there's no hill in sight so i think that's my best bet to run a fast 8k there and i want to run somewhere in the low 24s if uh you know the circumstances are right uh after that i plan on doing soul of the city 10k and then that's going to be my last big race for about a month just because uh, that's the busy season for the aquarium when we do a lot of uh, habitat restoration projects. So my schedule won't really allow for me to have any races in the month of April. And then the plan is to go to Swarthmore College on May 11th. And the plan is to enter a 5K there and just run as fast as I can. And I mean, I want to run pretty fast there. So that that's pretty much my schedule for the spring and summer months. Well, that's great, Langston, and uh, you know we'll definitely have to catch up with you, uh, you know, after some of these spring races and and see how things are progressing for you. But I just want to thank you so much for sharing your experience at the Cupid's Crush Five Miler, and uh, you know uh, we'll definitely see you soon. Awesome! Thanks again for having me. I'm gone, boss. I gotta tell you, I'm gone. For information on the Maryland Half Marathon, which will be run on Saturday, May 30th of 2020, I want to welcome Bob Hilson from the Baltimore Pacemakers back to the podcast. Bob, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Glenn. I really appreciate it. And I, I am looking forward to the Maryland Half Marathon, as are a lot of other people in the Pacemakers running group. Yeah, Pacemakers have been involved with this uh, race for a very long time. Uh, you know, when did uh, the, the group become involved with the Maryland Half? Well, we've been involved with the Maryland Half for, what, more than a decade now, I guess since um, um, the early 2000s, um, when they still had the race then, back out there in the, in the Lutherville area, back out, um, I think it started and finished at the, um, at, the, at the Maryland State Fairgrounds out there. We've been involved with them since then. And when they moved out to um, the um, Fulton Laurel area, you know, we came along with them. Um, the course is better out there, I think, than it was when they were at Lutherville and um, the crowds seem to be growing each year, too. Yeah, it really is a great race. And uh, for those who have not had the pleasure of participating in the event before, uh, can you share a little bit about what the race is like? The race is fun. It's like a big party. Um, before the race, there's, um, you know, we they have a big plaza out there of all the stores and stuff. The stores are closed, you know, in the, in the parking area. But, and we all just kind of gather and, you know, the, the music is blaring and we're all gathering and get ready for the race to start. And um, the whole area where the race starts 
is a um a, a new housing complex and um it's really nice out there too the nice townhouses and um we go and we run through there and they have bands you know every couple of miles or so and you know it's kind of a rural course but the people along the way really make it you know worthwhile for the runners because it's it's fun you don't get bored or anything it's rolling and it's roll but people are out there and they're cheering you on and you see a good part of the countryside in Howard County um it's just it's just nice to go past all the people and, and see all the cheers and you know all the sleepy faces come out in their pajamas, you know to kind of cheer us on. It it really makes it worthwhile for the runners to get out there and you know and to see those um the faces. You know the little kids are giving you high fives and 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 giving you candy or whatever. And it's just it's it's just a really a, a well run race and we have a good time doing it. Um, I'm hoping that we can con- continue our partnership with the Maryland Half for uh, many years to come. Yeah, as long as they'll uh, allow us to keep coming out there and uh, and pacing, I think we'll keep doing it. Uh, it really is a great race. It, it's a challenging course. Uh, Howard County, I don't think, has many flat spots in it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it, it's a fun time out there. And, you know, as you said, the countryside's really beautiful. Occasionally we'll have a rooster, uh, you know, greeting us as we come by and, and yeah. people out in their lawns. It, it, it is a fun time. You know, and I think one of the things that I like, too, about that, about that race, too, is we've really seen that whole – that whole area develop. Um, when we first started going out there, there were very few um, office buildings and very few houses. But over the years, you see some more progress each time. And, you know, and now you see these really, really nice uh, townhouses out there. You see all the stores, you know, the Harris Teeter and all that kind of stuff. That wasn't there when we first started. But now you see all the houses out there, you know. Um, that's mostly at the, at the start and finish line. And it's, it's, it's just a really run, well-run race. I think one of my favorite spots of that race, though, is uh, must be about mile 11 or 10 or so. And you pass this Chick-fil-A <laughs> and you smell all the chicken in there. And just it's just the most tempting thing as you're running by there. You you know, just you smell the the good Chick-fil-A odor and you think, oh my goodness, uh, hopefully the end is near. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The only thing more tempting would be a waffle house, but uh we'll, we'll work on that for future years. Uh please and it, do. <laughs> of course it benefits a really great cause, the Green Obama Cancer Center at the University of Maryland Medical Center. Uh, and you know, so that's another reason to want to get out there and support it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it is. Um, you know, um, when, when we first started doing one of our pacers, um, was a doctor down here at the hospital and he still paces with us. I, I don't think he paced last year, but he's still a pacer with us. And he still runs with us. Um, uh, Michael Donenberg. And, um, you know, he, he is, I guess the, the main influence for this race. And he is, he's one of the main reasons why a lot of pacemakers are out there because we want, we want to support him as well as, um, as, as well as the hospital and the foundation. Yeah, and the race, uh, you know, brings in about a half million dollars a year for cancer treatment and research, which is, uh, you know, is, is a great cause, and hopefully we can exceed that uh, this year. So, uh, but I brought you on also because there's a new collaboration between the Baltimore Pacemakers and the Maryland Half. So uh, tell us a little bit about this uh, this new venture. Well, um a lot, uh, each week prior to the race, we're starting to have a little short video, um, and we're going to put on their website, um, um, MarylandHalfMarathon.com, um, and we have various pacemakers or in, and various pacers who are giving pointers, running pointers, um, you know, as a, as a how to prepare for a half marathon and how to prepare for that half marathon, which is kind of a rolling, which is a bit of a rolling course. Um, we're going to have different pacers, both men and women, who who um, are going to explain, you know different aspects of running, um, you know, from start to finish, um, you know, and these are for novice runners as well as the more seasoned runners. Um, 
the tips are really good. Uh, these most of the people who are giving the tips have been running for years and years, and they know um, you know all 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 the training secrets, and they are more than willing to give their expertise to help the the runners um experience this race. Yeah, that should definitely be a good thing to to help runners, uh, you know, maybe overcome a little bit of the fear coming into this race. Not sure if I can do it or what should I do to get ready. Uh, though I, I do hear that you, uh, I, I heard you brought in some real ugly guy with a weird voice to do the first video, though. <laughs> yeah, some guy named Glenn Smith. Um, I, I don't know. He's a he's a runner from Baltimore. Um, you know, he's um, no, but he's no, Glenn is Glenn. You are Glenn, one of one of my favorite runners, and um, you've, you've been running for a while, and you're a seasoned pacer too. And um, you know your your tips in the first video, which is probably online now, if not you know if not within the next few days or so. Um, really, you know, kind of sets the tone for the whole race. You know, it tells you what to expect and how to prepare for it. Um, it's only like about a minute and 20 seconds or so, but it's really, you know, it, it really helps the new runner. It helps the seasoned runner. It helps people to um, know what to expect when you go out there. Um, running, as you know, Glenn, and as you explained in your video, is not just something you can just lace up your shoes one day and get out there and run. It's something that you have to plan and prepare for. You have to have a strategy. And I think that um, at least in the first video, the one that you did, Glenn, it's um, it's it's very good. It's very helpful. Hopefully, um, each 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 of the videos from here on in will will be just as as useful. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think this is a great idea, uh, you know, for this race or other races, just to sort of help people to prepare. And there's plenty of time to get in on this race and to raise money to support the great work being done at the Greenbaum Cancer Center at University of Maryland Medical Center. Uh, so for people who want to get in on this race, uh, the website is mdhalfmarathon.com. And there's more information and a registration link there. Uh, the race, again, is on Saturday, May 30th of 2020, and uh, it starts at the Maple Lawn community in Howard County. And uh, again, these videos should be on the Maryland Half Marathon YouTube channel. Uh, so go check that out and subscribe uh, to see uh, more videos and, uh, you know, with a bunch of tips. So, Bob, thanks so much for coming on to share with us, bud. Glenn, thanks for all that you do for the running community, and, and thanks for what you're doing for the Maryland Half Marathon, too. Just an editorial note, the videos are on the Maryland Half Marathon and 5K Facebook page, so go and like and follow that page to get all the training tips that Bob and I talked about. Before we get to this week's interview, I want to share some ways that you can connect with the show. You can follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for the Running Around Baltimore podcast. I'll be posting periodically to provide show updates, and you can message me directly to share feedback on the episodes, make suggestions for future guests or segments, and ask any questions. If there's an event that you'd like us to highlight, tell me about it. If there's a person that you feel the community should get to know, I'm always looking for recommendations for future guests. We also have a show website at runningaroundbmore.wixsite.com slash podcast. There, you will find all of the running routes shared on the show, links to the episodes on all the different podcast sites, and other key information. Also, it'd be greatly appreciated if you would subscribe to the show and write a review on your preferred podcast service. If you like what we're doing, tell your friends about it on social media or when you're out on your next group run. I really appreciate all of your support, because I couldn't do any of this without you. Also, I'm looking for people to share their motivation to run in our new Why I Run segment. 
Send me a message from the website or a direct message on social media for more information if this interests you. So without further interruption, let's get to this week's interview. I was a boy about the age of nine. For this week's interview, I'll be speaking with Ryan McGrath, a fixture on the local running scene and the leader of the Falls Road Racing Team. Ryan, welcome to the Running Around Baltimore podcast. Hi, Glenn. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure having you on, Ryan. Uh, you've you've definitely been at running for a long time, and uh, you know, all the way uh, through college and and up to the present. Uh, but as a youth, uh, were you into other sports as well, or was it always running for you? Yeah, I think in the early '90s. Back in New Jersey, where I'm from, it was mostly baseball, basketball. Uh, I wasn't really into soccer. I was definitely too small and uninterested in football. So uh, I guess I was in sixth grade, and the elementary school I went to started a track program. And it was a, a great opportunity for me to just run, run off the energy. The distances were really short. I think the longest event uh, you did through sixth grade might have been uh, a half mile and I think seventh and eighth graders could do a mile on the track um, it you know it was my my first first opportunity to, to do to view running as a sport yeah that's great that that was available to you uh, certainly until high school I didn't even know I knew what tracks were but I had never seen a track team or you know it wasn't in sort of that baseball football soccer uh, you know, youth sports program uh, on the Eastern Shore where I grew up. Uh, so it was good that you got a head start of that heading into high school. Uh, what were sort of the events that were ch- that were your uh, sweet spot uh, as a high school runner? So before high school, the events I did were the hundred, the two hundred, uh, and the long jump. And then I got to got to high school. My, you know, I, I wanted to play a sport. I knew nothing about cross country, but I wasn't. I, I hated soccer. And there was nothing else really for me to do in the fall. So I joined the cross country team and I was terrible. I was so slow. The very first race I did, it was maybe it was really a a time trial just between my team. It took me 18 minutes and 10 seconds to do the two mile course, uh, the cross country course that our high school raced on. And I I was not having fun, uh, but stuck with it a couple of weeks later in the first actual race of the season i think i ran 14 minutes and 50 seconds and managed to drop down that that year to about 1340 for the same course so saw a lot of improvement i think when you improve you have fun you make friends especially you know when you're when you're a freshman in high school and so uh, as high school continued ran all three seasons for all four years and uh you know it was definitely the longer the distance went, the the happier I was. So I was I had no problem with the two mile. Uh, was okay at the mile, and anything below that, I I just didn't even bother. Well, it sounds like you were definitely making uh, pretty strong gains, especially there at the beginning. Uh, I guess I, I mean I know you carried on through college, but you know in your area, uh, how good were you? I mean, were you sort of a top runner in the area, kind of the number one? guy that people are gunning for or uh I, I guess i don't know how competitive high school track is in uh in new jersey so yeah tell us i a was bit about uh, that. Not, <laughs> short answer is not even close um my team i think i was I, I was on the on you know in the top seven on my team but generally in that sixth or seventh we were we had a very good team 
and New Jersey's a, a really competitive state. Uh, the the biggest difference in New Jersey to Maryland is that they have that New Jersey has a, a meet of champions, which would would really be what uh, you know. I guess if you consider Maryland says they have their state meet, the state meet is what our group meets are. So once you qualify for the meet of champions in cross country, that means you're top three in your group. Uh, there's four groups plus two parochials, so you know it's not a not a huge field. Um, we we had a good team. We made it to meet of champs uh, by my senior year, I think. And then in in track, I mean, uh, there were there were guys even just in our in our own county, uh, Christian Brothers Academy, which is one of the top ranked teams in the nation every year, uh, that just blew the doors off of us and me personally. So. Um, when I went to college, I went to University of Maryland. I wasn't sure that I'd be able to run. Running wasn't what made me choose where I was going to go to college, but was going to be a part of it. So I got in touch with the coach in the summer before I uh, before I traveled and asked him kind of what the situation was for for trying out for the team. He told me that they had uh, they had a tryout at the end of August. You know when everybody was on campus and gave me some suggestions as to what I should be doing over the summer. And I, I ran a ton. I mean, I was running, uh, I built up to 60 plus miles a week. I ran a, a 29 minute flat five miler in the summertime. And I thought that was, that was pretty decent for a person who'd never raced that long before. And, um, you know, was fortunate enough to, uh, to be able to walk on to Maryland. Uh, of course, you know, Maryland's program, the cross country team doesn't exist anymore uh, for the for the men, but uh, back then it, it wasn't super competitive. So I feel like you say that you ran Division One, and you know people think that you're this insane athlete, and really it was just a matter of working hard and uh, and you know forcing myself to get onto that team. I think. Yeah, and uh, you and I went to Maryland at the same time, and uh, I have to admit I had no idea. Uh, how good or how bad uh, our uh, track and cross country program was. It was not on my running wasn't on my radar. And uh, I must say the diamond back uh, really didn't promote what you guys were doing very well. So I don't <laughs> think many other of us, you know, the, the school at large knew much of what was going on. Did that ever frustrate your team that uh, no matter what you did, uh, you know, there wasn't much attention paid? Yeah, I think we had a small team. Uh, there were only there were only seven guys on the on the men's team for cross country, and then track came, and and the team was a little bit larger. I think the frustration came just from the successes that a lot of the you know what we consider non revenue sports, the uh, you know the swimming and divings, the the soccer, the the cross country and track, uh, the success that they've had off the field as well. Uh, typically, the the track and cross country team. Uh, was one of the higher GPAs, and I think that you know just it gets a little frustrating when the focus is really just on uh, football and basketball, uh, even back then. And I still read the Diamondback. You know, I, I think it's changed a little bit. The attitude has shifted. Men's soccer now draws a huge crowd. Women's field hockey has been in the Final Four every year for you know like almost every year for the past decade. Uh, they're really, really quite talented. So I think you're starting to see a shift there. But it is frustrating when you know you represent your your school. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of sacrifices that you make to do that. And you know it's not like any of us was going to school specifically to run. You know there's no very little scholarship money. I think one kid might have had a partial scholarship, and that was it. Um, so it's really just for the love of the sport that you're doing it. 
Yeah, true student athletes, and uh, yeah, I was more connected with some uh, ladies who were on the tennis and field mm-hmm. hockey and a few lacrosse players. And uh, other than lacrosse, obviously they got plenty of recognition, especially in the middle of winning seven sta- uh, straight national championships at the time. But uh, yeah, the non-revenue sports, I mean, th- those folks were working really, really hard, the ones that I do. And uh, yeah, I-, I think there was always like a, a stepchild uh, mentality uh to those sports. But I mean, let's think about how important running was to you. I mean, you didn't go to Maryland to be a runner, uh, but, uh, you know, did it take up a pretty important role for you at that time? I mean, how seriously were you taking it? Yeah, I knew, you know, there was, there was part of me that, that knew that I would never be, I would never be the fastest. You know, it it certainly wasn't something that, uh, it wasn't like I didn't want to work hard, didn't want to be the fastest. I, I really felt I was doing everything I could listened to the coach, did the workouts and, um, you know, just, I was, I was extending the, the most of my natural abilities. Um, it was, it was pretty much everything for me. Uh, you know, I, I was pretty involved in, in other things on campus. I, I was a tour guide, um, you know, had, had a couple of other, uh, extracurricular type activities, but the one that meant the most certainly was, was running, uh, was my friends were on the team that was, how I spent most of my time. And, um, you know, I ran for two years and then, uh, I had a chance to, to do a study abroad in the fall of my junior year. When I was leaving, uh, there was a transition in coaches as well on the team. So I thought, well, this is a good time to, uh, to make a break, you know, I'm like not really, not really adding value and certainly not getting, getting faster. Uh, and I had some other ambitions. So it was around that time that triathlon, uh, had had just been featured in the Olympics for the first time in the Sydney Olympics, and I was heading to Australia for my study abroad, and that's what kickstarted triathlon. Maryland had a triathlon club. I had you know, I would do workouts on my off days from uh, from practice with with those folks. Do you know I like basically learned how to swim in college. I had kids in the dorm that were swimmers in high school help help teach me how to do flip turns. Um, I had a, I met a, one of the guys on the triathlon club, uh, worked for the bike shop. So helping me get a deal on a, on my first road bike and really just put together the three sports and, and found that I was much better relative, uh, at triathlon than I was at, at just running. Yeah. Then, uh, it's definitely one of those small world things uh, you and I must've spent a lot of time in the same places, uh, there at the rec center. I worked there my entire time, uh, as a lifeguard and a pool operator and, uh, you know, you know, definitely spent some time down there at the outdoor rec center. So, uh, I definitely know where you spent quite a bit of your time, uh, <laughs> learning those flip turns. So, uh, I mean, that's awesome. And then of course, you know, you didn't go to college to be an athlete. So, you know, you got your degree. I think you graduated in 03, uh, same day as me. And, um, you know, but, and then you went on to, to start your career. Uh, you know, did you keep up running in triathlon at that point or, uh, you know, did you focus in on, you know, burgeoning career and, and let it fall by the wayside? Well, you know, I think uh, there's definitely something uh, I, I don't want to say wrong with runners, but there's for people that grew up with it, uh, you can you notice the I'll say obsession. And it's something that's really difficult to to give up. I think for anyone who's run, uh, whether it's been whether they consider it competitively or not, it's it's just it's it gives you something that, you know, people who don't run may not fully understand. And, and I'm, it's taken me a really long time to understand 
even that part of it that other people can't really quite comprehend why we're always saying, oh, well, I'm, I'm running this weekend. Well, didn't you run yesterday or last week or whatever? And, and um, you know, so for me, I, I knew it was always going to be a part of my life. I didn't know how. And when, you know, when we graduated in, in 03, I moved back up to New Jersey and I was uh, just kind of figuring out what I was going to do. And I was out for a run one day. Um, I think I, I remember the date might've been August 1st. I remember it was a Friday morning and uh, I was I was running in the woods and just completely destroyed my ankle, broke it so bad. I broke my talus bone. Uh, I had to hobble out. There was nobody, nobody around to help. So I hobbled three miles on my broken ankle. Um, that kind of messed me up for, for the better part of, of the next year. So I didn't really run. I was able to ride a little bit, but it was definitely, you know, I was definitely bummed out. Uh, just, it wasn't, wasn't fun. I didn't, I didn't enjoy not being able to run. Uh, and then the company I worked for had an opportunity down here in Baltimore. And I said, yeah, I, I can move. I have nothing up here, no strings. And so when I moved down here, uh, I had also just been able to start running again. It was, uh, it was the winter of 05 uh, coming into the spring. And I, you know, I was really, I was excited. I was excited to live in a new place, live in a city, be around people I knew. Some of my friends from college lived in Baltimore or surrounding areas. So, uh, so it was a pretty, it was a pretty easy transition for me. And as far as running was concerned, uh, first things first, look up every running group that exists. So I found out about Federal Hill Runners. It was run by two women, both named Susan. Monday nights, started going to that. Uh, put a couple messages in some, uh, I think it was maybe the Baltimore Area Triathlon Club had a Yahoo group and posted a question in there. And this guy got back to me and I knew his name because I had raced against him in the years that I was in college uh, in triathlon. So, you know, he lives in Baltimore. I think this is great. I have a, an immediate training partner. So I think the the key for me was getting involved quick and, uh, and never looking back. And I mean, since then I've just, uh, with the exception of maybe the the one year that I've had a few surgeries, I've never really had a had a break and haven't really wanted to take one. Yeah, and yeah. that's uh, great that you were able to uh, you know find you know like minded people and uh, you know to not feel so alone in a new place to be able to uh, you know have this to fill your extra time because you know certainly a lot of people fill it with less productive things. Uh, but uh, let's how seriously did you take your training? I mean. Uh, you're a pretty fast runner. I mean, to be able to compete on a Division One team, uh, you know, were you more in it for the socialization at that point, or did you, you know, start trying to lower times or focus in on particular races at that point? It was definitely competitive. I think in the the years between '03 and '05, when I was just getting back into it, uh, you know, really it was I would I raced maybe two or three times. I didn't I didn't race a lot. You know, I was coming off that injury. And then when I moved here, everything started to click again. I was running better. I was riding pretty well. I bought a new bike. Uh, I was swimming decently, and so I, you know, got back into triathlon as well. So that that next year, '06, was my first full year here in Baltimore, and uh, did a, did a lot of races with with my new friends. Um, I think that I would definitely classify my training as serious. I was, you know, as I worked and then when I was done with work and, you know, before work, uh, it was, it was everything that I was doing and all the new friends that I'd made here in Baltimore and the group that we'd started, uh, that was, that was my socializing. So I never had to worry about, 
having separate plans. You know, my social time was my my training time. And the goal was was simple. The goal was to to see how far I could get with triathlon. And back in those days, you're a little bit younger. The body's still responding. You know, I definitely had a, had plans, designs of getting your professional card in triathlon, which has you know, the rules have changed over the years for for how you acquired it. But uh, there were a couple people that that I knew that were trying to become card carrying elite triathletes, and uh, and that was the goal. So that's what that's what all the training was for. So were you able to reach that goal? Uh, I know that it's a pretty high bar uh, to be able to get there. Uh, we had Susie Serpico on uh, back in the summer, and uh, she was talking about her experience as a as a pro for a while. Uh, you know, and I know it's pretty strenuous. Uh, how far into triathlon did you get? Yeah, so Susie's a great example. Uh, you know, Susie was definitely uh, is definitely a, a really quick, very competitive athlete. And she's been successful at really long races. So in triathlon, you, you kind of look at it as you have Ironman and you have short course ITU races. So that short course racing is what you'd see in the Olympics. It was, you know, that was when I was in college, I thought, you know, this is what I'd like to do. I'd like to be able to race short, uh, fast, you know, you're racing a 10K off the bike and these guys are, are in at that level are running 30, 30 minutes, uh, you know, 30 to 31 Sometimes they're under 30 and you're like, wow, that's, that's insane. I mean, to run that just open would be, would be crazy. And here they are running it off the bike. And I knew that I was never going to be that fast. You know, my fastest 10 K was going to be like 34 minutes. And I thought, well, that's, that's not quite going to cut it. But if, if I could get to that point, that'd be awesome. So fast forwarding from 05 to about 09, uh, that's where I was really, yeah, I had started to make some some inroads. I was feeling really good, and I I had a friend from college who lived in Baltimore, and, and we talked about it. Uh, the timing was was really just uh, 2009 was a weird year. Uh, the company I worked for that I moved down here uh, for for the job had laid me off. They laid off a whole bunch of people. You know, we're getting into that that weird weird economic time. And so while I while I had some time off, I thought, well, you know, this would be a great opportunity to see how far I can go. You know, I'm in a good place financially and this is what I'll do. So I was ready to just, you know, kind of make training and racing the focus for a couple of months and see how far I could go. And that's when I got hit by hit by the car. And you know, you, you certainly don't plan for it, but it really does throw throw off your throw off your plans and and really damaged the the goals, uh, you know, for a pretty long time thereafter. And then you come out of it and you're like, well, now I'm now I'm over thirty. The the likelihood of me getting to to this point is is much 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 lower. Uh, so you start to think, what's what's my goal? You know, what am I trying to accomplish now? And and things things definitely fall into perspective uh, when you have something like that happen. Yeah. So, uh, tell us about, uh, how that all, uh, went down. Was this on the bike or on the run? And, uh, you know, how long did it keep you down for? Yeah, I was, I was in New Jersey. So I was heading up to Rhode Island. Uh, back then they had a race. It was a half Ironman and it had qualifying spots for Kona. And I thought, well, you know, I'd, I'd much prefer to do, you know, if I can qualify for Hawaii in a half Ironman, that's great. I'm, I'm much faster. I've never done an Ironman. And back then they had, they still had some races, some half Ironmans that had qualifying spots for, uh, for Kona, you know, Hawaii Ironman. And, uh, it was two days before the race. 
I was in New Jersey and I, I was just doing a, a quick shakeout ride with a friend up there. And I was about two miles from my parents' house. I said, hey, man, I'm going to just run through my gears real quick, uh, make sure everything looks good. I'll meet you at the traffic light. So I, I take off and, you know, you're you're on a time trial bike. You're probably going 30 miles an hour without without really looking down too much. Uh, and I get up, get up around the corner and I see a car on my right and they're waiting to make a left turn. And the guy, elderly gent, he and I make contact, eye contact, and uh, right at the last second, he just pulls out. And I, I mean, I had nowhere to go except right into the side of his car. So uh, closed my eyes, kind of prepared for that hit, flew over the roof and landed on the other side. And you know, your first thoughts are, of course, well, at least I'm alive. And two is, can I move my legs? And you know, I seemed like I was okay, but definitely couldn't move. You know, I was on the ground. I was, I was out. Um, my friend comes around the corner. He hadn't seen it happen, so he just the last thing he saw was me riding okay, and then he sees me on the ground. Uh, I was about now at this point a mile from home, so he calls my my parents and you know went to the hospital and uh, torn ACL, MCL, LCL, meniscus, hamstring, broken bones in the knees and ankles. Uh, so it wasn't wasn't totally pretty, and uh, I guess it was a full year. I didn't ride, uh, didn't ride for a full year, and I. Even after surgery, I, I started to try to run again, and uh, I guess this is November, November of '09, and just it, things were getting worse, and I had to go have a second surgery uh, in March, and so uh, you know, just between that, it was it was really trying time. I mean, definitely, you start to feel the effects of of depression. You know, your anxiety starts to go up. You wonder, will I ever be able to do this again? Let alone even just go out and enjoy a leisurely walk. Uh, so it's, I see so many people that are injured, you know, for long periods of time and, uh, you know, it takes a toll, it takes a real mental toll in addition to physically, like you're just not sure what, what's going to come of it. Well, yeah, I mean, you, you've obviously gone through a traumatic incident with, uh, with the accident, but then there's also the, you've lost something really important in, in your life. I mean, your friends, you know, your social life is very much tied up with, you know, training and events and, uh, you know, your travel is tied up in that. So, uh, then all of a sudden in an instant that's taken away and, uh, to think, you know, maybe that's never going to come back, you know, that that's a pretty tough thing because, you know, then what do you fill that time with? Where do you find that, you know, purpose and fulfillment outside of, of work, uh, you know, that you had previously put into that. So I could imagine that was pretty rough. Uh, you know, so how important was the local, you know, your local running and, and triathlon community in sort of making a comeback from all of that and, and getting through that rough period. Yeah, I wouldn't have made it with without them. I mean, especially back then, uh, a lot of my friends have, have moved out of Baltimore, <clears throat> uh, started families and everything. But the, the group of friends that I had, especially at that point, uh, you know, they're, they're some of the best friends I've, I've got out there. And, uh, you know, without their support, and it was really, it wasn't even so much like, Hey, let's, you know, let's go for a walk. It was, you know, let's, let's just go do something. Let's watch a Maryland basketball game. Let's go to the movies. Um, you know, I was still, I was still crutching around. I would crutch from Canton to federal Hill on Monday nights to go to, uh, the Monday night run. I would start things off and then somebody would give me a ride home. Um, you know, it was just, whatever I could do to, to keep engaged 
was was really critical. My friends were were so supportive. Um, you know, had a lot of physical therapy in that time. So physical therapists did a great job. And it's hard to keep somebody motivated over that long of a period. Um, but the day that did it was, uh, it was I had gone home to New Jersey for Father's Day, and my dad, uh, you know, he knew I hadn't been on my bike in in almost a year. I like I didn't even want to ride it, and so he says, "Well, hey, let's go, let's go out to Sandy Hook. Sandy Hook's it's at the beach, and it was after after beach hours on like a Sunday night, so it was pretty empty." And I said, "I, I don't really want to go, Dad. I'm just not up for it." But talk me into it. We went. We rode maybe ten or twelve miles. Uh, I had my swim stuff with me, so I, I hopped in the ocean. I probably swam a, a quarter of a mile. And then since I had done two things, I thought, well, shoot, uh, maybe I'll go run when I get home. So my sister had gotten home from work, and uh, and she joined me for a two-mile run. So that first day back, I think, I think it might have been like June 21st or something of, of 2010, um, I said, all right, today's the day. And I, I didn't take a day off until after the Ironman Arizona in November. Uh, so I went a couple months straight, didn't take any days off. And, you know, from June 21st to November, managed to get myself in shape and, and did my first Ironman. Well, that's a, that's a heck of a comeback. And, uh, you know, it's like a journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step. And, uh, you know, your dad gave you the kick in the butt you needed at that point and uh, really got you kick started there. So uh, let's talk. I mean, you've had a really long career in in try and, and running. What have you been sort of your favorite events that you've done over the years? Oh man, there's, you know, there's there's so many that stand out, and it's it's almost a shame you can't do all of them every year. So one race that I do uh, every other year on the even years is called Survival of the Shawangunks. It's kind of a triathlon. It's up in the Shawangunk Mountains in New Paltz, New York, and you start with a thirty mile bike. It finishes with a five-mile climb up into the into the mountains. You have one transition area, so you have a crew member that takes your bike and puts out your shoes. Uh, you go run four and a half miles in the woods. You get to a lake. You stuff your shoes in your shorts and you swim across the lake. It's 1.1 miles across this lake. Uh, you get out. You put your shoes on. You go run five and a half in the woods. You get to another lake. You swim a half mile across it. You go for an eight-mile run. You swim another half mile. And then you finish with a uh, three quarters of a mile straight up to the top of this uh, this cliff peak thing at the Mohonk Mountain uh, Lake House, and it's it's this beautiful and it's so hard and it's so much fun and you're just you're basically by yourself the entire day in the woods. Uh, that's definitely been uh, my favorite try. Another uh, doesn't exist anymore, but I used to love the Columbia Triathlon. I think I saw that somebody's bringing bringing a Columbia Triathlon back this summer that I might do. And then out in, um, uh, you know, got Eagle Man on the Eastern Shore. I've had some of my best and worst days ever out there. And uh, the Savage Man out in Garrett County. Uh, beautiful, beautiful course. Super hard. You go up uh, the, the Western Port Wall, which is this broken up, chopped up concrete, 31% climb. Uh, so it's just, you know, the, the harder the race uh, at this stage in my career, I definitely, I just, I want to find hard things and I want to, I want to do them. Running wise, I uh, can't beat New York Marathon, uh, hands down the best race uh, that's out there. But locally, uh, you know, Club Challenge is a favorite, Pikes Peak 10K. Um, you know, we have so many, we have so many resources around here. We've got awesome places to run and great races that 
um, you know, you want to be able to race every weekend or, you know, sometimes twice if you could. But when you put together a, a structured racing plan, you've got to be smart and, you know, figure out I'm, I'm very goal based. So I want to make sure that I'm doing things with a purpose and not just out there, you know, racing to race and make myself tired and getting mad that I didn't hit a goal. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, honestly, that yeah, definitely very interested to maybe read up on the the one up there in New York. Uh, that because swim run has become a, a really big thing. These events like uh, Otolo out in uh, Sweden, where you know you have to kind of alternate between running and swimming. Uh, that's a pretty unique thing, and I think uh, uh, that that could be an. I think there's some effort to bring more of those events to the area. So. Uh, but that one definitely sounds like a very unique uh, experience that you wouldn't find anywhere else. Um, and uh, but you talked about goals being goal oriented. Uh, once that goal of you know getting your pro card in triathlon sort of uh, went away uh, to some degree after your um, your accident, what sort of new goals did you develop for yourself at that point? Yeah, um, you know, so we're talking almost at this point a, a decade ago. And so back then I was still, I was still, I still considered myself quick, you know, like I, I could go out and, uh, it was 2011. I, I ran, uh, four second and it might not be much, but it was a four second half marathon personal best in 2011. And my previous best had been from 2008 before I got hurt. So I thought, well, you know, that's pretty positive. I think if I can, if I'm able to run that, you know, my body can still do it. Um, so then you start to find different, different goals. And I think being in your early thirties, things shift because you see a lot of your friends starting to have families maybe, and, and they're not always running. Maybe some of them take time off. Uh, you start to have these younger folks join the group and they're all really fast. They're fresh out of college. And so you, you struggle to find your place a little bit. So, so, you know, a goal for me has always been qualified for, for Kona, um, I was still taking stabs at it into 2013 and 14, but haven't done an Ironman since. And, you know, I've gotten kind of fallen out of, out of love with, uh, the brand element, the brand Ironman. So, you know, it's, it's tough because they own Hawaii. So it's the only path to get there, but you start to think of other races like Otolo, like you mentioned, uh, Norseman, um, you know, you try and find maybe a race that you can travel to or do with your friends Shawangunks is a great example. I do it with uh, one or two of my friends every other year, and it's just something fun to look forward to. So uh, I'm also, you know, at this point I'm 38, but you know, still have a little time before 40. But now you start to think like, hey, you know, now you you're getting closer to that masters category. What what challenges can you take on then? You know, is your goal going to be compete in masters? divisions is it going to be maybe qualify for boston again i haven't run boston since 2013 is that something i want to do and so each year i take uh i take some time at the end of the at the end of the year slash beginning of the next year and try and jot down my my goals some of the goal races it's tough if you have to register for something a year in advance but uh you know then at least you know whether you're in or not and you can start to plan things around that Sure. And yeah, you, so you said you did Boston 2013. That was the mm -hmm. year of the tragic bombing. Uh, how close were you when that all occurred? I mean, uh, I know that it happened a little bit later in the event with some of the, yeah. you know, uh, higher than four hour marathoners. And I imagine you came in quite a bit before that. But there were also a lot of folks who had finished and were in that finishers area 
when it happened? Uh, you know, how close were you to all that? Yeah, we weren't. Uh, I was with two of my friends and my parents, and we weren't real close. Uh, I'd say we were probably uh, seven or eight blocks away and one one whole avenue over, uh, you know, using the, the kind of New York style avenues. But uh, we're outside, we're eating lunch, and, you know, you heard what sounded like a cannon go off. And obviously nobody was sure what it was. You're thinking, well, it's Patriots Day. Maybe there's something we're not aware of. Uh, but then it was was pretty apparent quickly that something was wrong. People started running. The police started screaming through. So, uh, you know, it was it was qu- quickly to to try and get get out of you know get out of the city and back on the road. Uh, but it was you know I mean obviously a a terrible situation for the city, for the sport, for the people that were were affected by it. And and you see it's it's impact still and you know at this point we're seven years on from it and uh you know I, I don't think big races will ever really be the same because of it and it's it's definitely taken taken a lot out of um an element out of the the big racing side you know you're you're now not as able to you can't get as close to it and uh you know i thought that was always a, a nice feature of some of those big races yeah i know that boston it was the sort of thing where uh they really wanted to keep the fans as close to the course as possible. Uh, you know, back in the in the day that I, I would visit my sister, went to school in there in the 90s around the 100th anniversary. And, you know, people often sort of jumped in and banded for fun. And they just can't allow that anymore because, you know, the the upside of, of that uh, is, you know, close fate experience. The downside is it allows, you know, somebody with bad intentions to get that close. And obviously you always have to air on the side of safety uh for the runners and for the fans and everybody but it is sad to see that uh you know everything has to be viewed through that lens now but um so you know you a man with diverse interests obviously you've got uh triathlon you've got running uh you also like to do adventure things uh i know that you did grand canyon uh rim to rim to rim uh (laughs) this fall uh you know along with the pecs and and some others uh you know, how'd you enjoy that experience? And uh, was that your first time or I didn't, I don't recall if you had done that previously as well. Yeah, it was, uh, that was a, a for sure bucket list thing. Um, and my, my friend Mike, he and I had, had been talking about it for almost 10 years and it was like the timing was never right. He was doing a PhD program and then he went for an MBA program and uh, just kept missing, kept missing our window. And finally he was graduating uh this May with uh, with his MBA, and we said, "This is this is it. You're turning 40. School's done. You know, we're going to go do it." And at the same time, Graham uh, Graham Peck, uh, you know, he'd been talking about maybe doing something before getting married uh, with his dad and sister. So I said, "Okay, here's, you know, we're going to the Grand Canyon, and we're going to do it." And um, I, I would say that long long things like that are are not quite my forte anymore. Uh, very steep descents are not good on my knee that I've, I've had uh, the surgeries on. So it was a really tough day. We started at, uh, I don't know, 4.30 in the morning. It was probably a little later than we should have. And uh, you know, temperature-wise, fine. Um, I was doing pretty well, I think, with, with being able to run and feeling like I could run. But it's just long. And it, it's really, really hard. So you, you're climbing up to the north rim. And it's getting up to 8,200 feet, and I spent I spent no time at altitude ever. So I was I was getting a little getting a little woozy. Uh, felt better on the descent, 
met up with a few people. We started running down. Um, and then we were just, uh, my friend Mike was struggling a little bit with, uh, with a foot problem. So we had to walk and we got to Phantom Ranch a half hour after they closed. And I, I had been counting on those calories. I had 200 calories to try and make it to the top with. And I was just, I was deflated. I was completely out of it. I did not want to keep going, but you have no choice unless you want to pay for a $10,000 helicopter ride out or something. So, uh, just had to suck it up. Uh, it was really, really hard and, um, very proud that I did it. It was a, an amazing accomplishment. Beautiful to see the Grand Canyon. I'd never even seen it before. So, uh, it just kind of capped off this great fall of, of doing a lot of fun things and, and traveling and, and doing some adventures. And, and like you said, we talk about goals, like that's, that's what I want to do now. I, I know, like I want to take trips and do things that are just difficult or, you know, you're going to have, you're going to suffer. Uh, that's kind of, that's kind of fun. Yeah, it definitely sounds like a cool experience. Every person I've uh, talked to who's done that, uh, has just really recommended it and, uh, not just for what you see, but also, you know, what you can prove to yourself coming out of, uh, you know, accomplishing something like that. So, uh, among your diverse interests, also politics, uh, you know, there's, uh, last year you sort of, uh, started a grassroots campaign to be mayor of Baltimore, uh, sort of what was the genesis of this idea? Yeah, I think, um, as as many citizens of Baltimore could attest, there's you know, there's definitely a feeling right now of uh, of just uh, kind of forgottenness. Like it doesn't matter who you are. I think there's there's this feeling that people aren't listening. Um, you know, decisions are being made that affect us every day that we have no control over. And even if we are letting our voices be heard, uh, there's a group of people in Baltimore politics that seems to uh, to just ignore it and want to take advantage. I think we've seen it with from from things as serious as crime to, uh, you know, maybe not as serious, but equally as Im important in terms of fostering a, a sense of community uh, with with how neighborhoods are, are structured and aligned and school and, uh, you know, things like bike lanes. And so came a point last year where you know some of my friends we were, we were joking around I would I would always make comments like you know uh, this is this is what I would do and I, I think when you're you know you're used to leading these groups and you know kind of being the face of uh, face of, of these these running groups uh, you know start people start to say yeah man like you could do that and so born was this idea of maybe I'll just run for for mayor you know we have we're gonna have to elect a new one uh, after after what had gone on and um you know I, i'd say and of course we talked a bit about this a little bit uh before our call but uh you know at this point you've got 18 people i think uh on the docket and you know i think the the way that we uh some of our some of our biases allow us to only see a few uh only a few are getting invited to debates uh only a few people's voices are heard and uh i, I think that it's it's always interesting to me when they point fingers at one another uh, because they all know each other. They've worked with each other for, for years and years and years. Um, I, you know, they're all, I, I look at them as like, Hey, nobody's to blame because you're all to blame for, uh, for where we are. If you're going to sit here and say that it's somebody else's fault, well, you, 
you've been part of this administration. So to me, it's a great opportunity for a clean start if people in Baltimore were, were looking for that. Uh, and honestly, I, I don't know that a, a mayor of this city needs to be uh, somebody who has all the ideas, just knows who, who to put in charge and empower to help make sure that those ideas get acted on, you know, and, and I think that's the sign of, uh, of any great leader without taking, uh, without trying to pass the buck and pass, pass the blame. Yeah, I, I think most people uh, would like to see a kind of a solutions-oriented uh, leader, in next leader of Baltimore. And, uh, you know, uh, as we were chatting earlier, you said it doesn't look like that's probably going to happen for you this time because of the amount of money that's being poured into the race makes it sort of hard for somebody not part of that existing uh, fundraising system to, to really get a foothold and to get recognition and to be heard. Uh, have you thought about maybe pivoting in the future to some other sort of, uh, you know, public service sort of uh, job, maybe on the city council or uh, something like that to to maybe get become more well known and and to be able to have a chance to possibly make a more serious attempt at it in the future? Yeah, I think you're. I think the 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 biggest lesson here is that uh, an unknown entity with no resources really just doesn't stand a chance. Um, you, you know, even like with the idea of, of fundraising, I think, I, I personally think that, you know, I look at it as, okay, we're asking people to give their hard-earned money to, to a cause, and that's great if you believe in that and you're willing to support that, but there's so much more that money could go to. You know, if you're a candidate and you have nearly a million dollars in cash on hand, um, you know, there's a lot, of, a lot of great organizations in Baltimore that would would love to have that kind of a donation. So uh, on my website, the big thing was here, don't donate to me. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm fully aware of, of how real, uh, real and serious I'm going to be taken, but, you know, donate to these organizations instead and see your money actually go, go to something useful instead of watching these people blow it on uh, billboards on 95 saying enough is enough. I think that's kind of, uh, you know, I, I know there's an element that, you just have to do that, but I also think that uh, campaign finance and reform is uh, is something that I hope comes up over the next few years and makes it makes it more equitable so that you don't have to be inserted into this political machine to be able to be taken seriously. But to your point, uh, you know, there's other other opportunities. There's city council. There's other uh, areas you can get involved, and so I think that my next step is probably to look look into that. Um, you know, I, again, at, at 38, I'm not, uh, you know, I feel like it's a, a reasonable time in my life. And you start to get to that point where we talked about goals. And, and maybe that's just a, a new thing for me to focus on as, you know, some of my maybe athletic goals start to, you know, start to dwindle a little bit. Yeah. And it seems like a natural fit uh, for you in a way, because, you know, for, you know, all the time that you've been in Baltimore, you've been sort of an organizer, uh, and a doer, very action-oriented, uh, you know, in a number of different things you're involved in. Uh, one of them is coaching uh, with the Falls Road Racing Team, so and organizing uh, other runners, uh, you know, to uh, to run races competitively. And uh, you know, uh, you coming off a year where uh, your team won the uh, Road Runners Club Challenge in uh, down in Columbia, you've got a title to defend. Uh, how'd you get involved in coaching? And uh, you know. Uh, how important has that been uh, for you, you know, organizing those runners over the years? 
Well, we, we kind of make jokes about, about the idea of coaching because I, I always feel like uh, people at people who've been running, they know what they need to do. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like if, if you watch Star Wars and, you know, you think about uh, Luke Skywalker or, you know, Kylo Ren or, or Ray or something, and they, they know what they need to do. They know what has to be done. And sometimes it's just a matter of, can I do it? And I think a good coach, you know, workouts are, anybody can write a workout. I could go tell you to, to run, you know, six by mile repeats at, at, you know, your half marathon to marathon pace and, and take a minute off. And, you know, the, the workouts themselves at some point don't, don't really matter. It's maybe the, the patience to know when, you know, when it's time to take a break or, you know, calm the voices that are in your head or the doubt. And I think that a coach is more than just a person who writes workouts. And it's a, it's a consultant who, who helps guide you through this, this process and, and is a reassuring friend. I mean, I think, um, you know, any of, any of my friends that, that run, nobody needs you to tell them what, what workouts to do and and they're going to do what they feel is right for them. But, you know, giving some suggestions or just being a motivating force, I, I think motivation is the, is the number one thing that I see as being, um, you know, a, the positive influence in in how well somebody runs. When when the people you're surrounded with are running well, you're you're more likely to run well. If people around you are having fun and enjoying themselves, you're more likely to run well. And we've seen it time and time again. And every year before Club Challenge, we do we do a workout uh, on the course. Everybody goes down. We do a workout. For the new folks, it helps them become familiar with the course. And for the old folks, it's just a, a quick reminder. And then, you know, we go into the race and everybody runs, you know, what they're capable of running and win, lose, or draw. We know we're going to go out and have have ourselves a little party after, after the race. And uh, I think that that part of it has become so much more critical because, you know, anything can happen year to year. People can get hurt. People can be sick. Uh, people just have a bad race. But, you know, we're not going to we're not going to beat ourselves up over, over not winning something we want to win for sure. We, you know, like who doesn't, uh, but you know, it's, it's really just about, about having fun and, and having these, these chances to make memories with your friends before, uh, before you move on. Yeah. And, uh, that's definitely a, a big thing. Just having somebody there to give you another opinion and, uh, to help keep you accountable and remember what your goals are. You know, sometimes we get so far into our heads, we just need a, as you said, an experienced running friend to kind of keep us on the right track. Uh, so, uh, how did you get involved uh, with Falls Road Racing? Was that something that previously existed and you kind of took over for someone else, or uh, you, were you there sort of from the beginning of its uh, origination? So, yeah, so going back to 2005, uh, when I moved here, I stopped into the store. And I, it was funny when I went to the store for the first time, I had this flashback and I remembered going there maybe three years before when I was in college uh, because it was where TriSpeed, uh, Tri this old triathlon store, was in the building where Falls Road Running is now. Uh, Troy Jacobson was the owner and my training partner in college said, hey, I want to go up to talk to Troy. So we drove up to from College Park on a on a weekend once and we went into this this really tiny shop hidden away it took us forever to find it and we met this white-haired guy with glasses named Jim Adams and uh, a couple of years later here I am back in this place and I, I knew it instantly and I said oh my god like I I was here I met you and uh, and that's what started it up so he you know he at that point was like hey yeah we 
you know, here's a singlet. Jim was always, always giving out singlets, great marketer, always wanted to make sure that more people saw the Falls Road logo. Uh, so you'd go to a race and there'd be people wearing singlets, t-shirts from races, whatever it was. And uh, at that point, there were a couple of guys who were probably a little bit, you know, they might be, they might have been about the age that I am now. And so they had started to disband a little bit. You know, there wasn't, there wasn't any glue uh, keeping that group together, but they kind of raced for the the team. And so I said, well, hey, let's do this. Let's, you know, here's Monday nights. Here's the run we'll do. We'll do Tuesday night workouts. We'll, you know, do a Wednesday night run. Here, Fridays, we'll go to Patapsco in the summer in the afternoons. Uh, you know, weekends, we'll do long runs. We'll do races. And pretty quickly, uh, we, we had a group of, you know, maybe 30 or 40 right off the bat. And uh, that group's grown to, uh, I send out a weekly email with results and the week's schedule. And it goes to over 400 people. Now, I know... All those 400 people don't live here anymore, uh, and I know not everybody reads the the email, but I'd say we have a, a pretty active group of 70 to 80 that uh, that you know I can count on regularly to show up at events, races, workouts, all that. Yeah, that's fantastic, and and again, you can are sort of uh, you know it becomes sort of a, a branding thing, as you said. You see uh, some fast folks up front with a Falls Road shirts on and uh you know birds of a feather tend to flock together you know other fast guys want to run together have training partners so uh you know it's good to be able to to kind of have a group available again for the next group of people that come out of college and are looking for uh you know to keep their competitive juices flowing to to have that group to to go to uh but you don't or just organize them you also organize runs from time to time uh you just had one uh recently called the matchbox 20k uh, <laughs> other than an homage to an a late 90s early 2000s pop band uh what's the matchbox 20k all about ah uh, so uh in, in ever so often you know when we feel like people could use a, a pick me up it's it's always a fun opportunity you know we, it's hard to even call them races it's really just hey let's let's do something let's have a theme that people can look forward to and in 2015, we found that Matchbox 20, the band who you know who doesn't love Matchbox 20, uh, it was their 20th anniversary. So we said, hey, we'll do a 20k race in Patapsco in the winter, um, you know, just to break up the weekends. You know, we need something to do, and just showing up to run every weekend isn't doing it. So this was the sixth anniversary. The race was yesterday. We had about a dozen or so people uh, come out and run, and really just becomes a, a big group run uh, that I. I set the pace on and try to make sure that it's it's reasonably quick so people feel like they're getting a good workout. And then, um, you know, we do we do things like this throughout the throughout the the year. Uh, one of our favorite events was from 2015. It was the Back to the Future two miler. It was the the day in 2015 that Marty McFly arrived in Back to the Future two. So it was October 21st. Uh, we did a lap around Raven Stadium, ran up Raven's Walk through Camden Yards, and finished at the Bromo Seltzer Tower, you know, to save the clock tower, like in Back to the Future. And we had a couple people dress up like Marty McFly. Uh, we probably had 30 or 40 people come out and do this silly little two-miler. So I find that, you know, you do fun events like that, and people are more likely to show up. So it's really just about keeping people interested and, you know, keeping, uh, you know, give everybody something to look forward to. Uh, it's fun to do it as often as we can. Uh, there's events that other people now have have put on that have had some staying power. So it's it's always nice to have something on the calendar, especially in the in the months where you don't have as much going on. 
Yeah, definitely. And uh, I think your longest standing event of this sort is actually in honor of your recovery from getting hit by a car. Uh, I believe you've done about 10 of those now. Uh, what's that event all about? Indeed. So uh, the very first year, so 2009, uh, I wanted to have a race, uh, you know, might come across as a little morbid to most, but it, it really was a celebration of being alive. So we called it the RM, the Ryan McGrath Memorial, and it was a 5K on the track. Uh, I invited a couple of, of fast guys from Georgetown Running Company up. And uh, and so I, I think the winning time was like 15.08 and, uh, you know, put up a couple prizes and, and we had had a great time. And so the next year came and we said, OK, well, it's a little dark calling it the RM Memorial. So let's do the RM Classic. And so we've had it's we've had it every year. It's one of those races, though, that has a, a moving target date. So usually we'll get to August and I'll start to poll everybody and say, hey, who's who's racing? Who's taking it seriously? Uh, what day is good? So we try to do it on the weekend if we can. There have been a few times that we've done it just, you know, on a Tuesday night at, at track at normal track practice. But we've had it every year. Uh, we did make up shirts. Pete, Pete Mulligan and, and Megan DiGregorio from Falls Road uh, got shirts made up last year for the 10th anniversary, which was, uh, was a really nice treat. And, uh, and now we have a, a, a standing record on the men's side of, I think, Andy Weaver ran 1446. And on the women's side, it's still uh, my friend Eileen Fleck from the very first year we did it. She ran 1808. So, um, you know, for any fast ladies out there, mark your calendars for uh, for September of 2020 and see if you can come take that take that record down. It's been around for for a long time. Is that uh, for a 5K? 5K and always on the track. So this is a race that we, we always do on the track. Um, and it's a great chance for people to, to get in a fast 5k or do a workout. Some people run up to the race and then, you know, do the race and then run home and make it their long run. Some people really take it to see if they can run a PR this year. I, I wanted to take it seriously for myself and it was the fastest 5k time I'd run in, I don't know, maybe, maybe seven years or something. So it was, uh, it was a good day. Yeah, it definitely seems like your events seem to be a good, uh, mesh between, you know, fun, let's get together races and again, getting some fast folks together to to really kind of uh, test each other out and see, you know, there, there's definitely a little undertone of competition in there. Uh, it's not just a fun run. So uh, that's pretty awesome events. And, and again, that you've been able to keep that one, the, the classic going for so long. Uh, one other thing that you do uh, that has actually had sort of interesting results over the years is that you were able to corner the Run Baltimore Instagram handle. Uh, <laughs> so that sort of makes you kind of like the mayor of Baltimore running to be able to uh, to post from there. You kind of speak for the Baltimore running community. And often you get tagged by people who are maybe running uh, Baltimore Running Festival. They'll end up uh, post-tagging <laughs> Run Baltimore. So you end up getting tagged by Michael Wardy and then all these other folks. Uh have you had some fun with that over the years? Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard not to. I think I forget when I, I started on Twitter. It might have been 2010 or something like that. Uh, but I tried to get run Baltimore back then. And uh, a young lady by the name of Kim owns it. So if Kim happens to hear this, uh, I would love if you'd pass over that name. Uh, I ended up going with Be More Running for Twitter. And uh, and I think it, it kind of speaks to, to what our club's about. Uh, you know, we... We have a lot of fun. We have, like you said, competitive people, and everyone has a shared goal of of getting faster, improving, and and you know socializing. Uh, but then when Instagram started up, I said, okay, well, Run Baltimore exists. I may as well snatch it up. 
And I'll be honest, I'm, I'm not a big Instagrammer. Uh, if you ever go to my page, you won't see many pictures. It's, it's usually a couple posts a year. Um, my, you know, I try to keep it as on brand as possible, like not being me necessarily, but more, you know, here's events, here's what the group is doing, here's Baltimore running. Uh, but you're right, I get tagged in things all the time, especially as Baltimore Marathon approaches. Uh, Mike Wardian really, I, I think he really did think that Be More Running was uh, was Corrigan Sports or something, and uh, just kept tagging me in, in everything. So of course I get a bunch of uh, notifications. Um, another one, uh, Nick Klostava, who you've interviewed before, uh, before the Matchbox 20K last year, he tagged Matchbox 20 and Rob Thomas in it. And I guess the Matchbox 20 account retweeted it, you know, not knowing what it is, just that they got mentioned in something. And uh, all of a sudden, my phone starts blowing up with all these notifications. And I go, what What happened? And Nick texts me and says, uh-oh, I, I think I made a mistake. And, uh, you know, sure enough, hundreds of hundreds of retweets and, and favorites and people commenting, asking where they could go to do this race. And, uh, I, I mean, it's, it's the Internet's a funny little place, but... Uh, try to have fun with it and and make sure that it's again it stays as on brand as possible with uh, being about running and and nothing nothing more than that if I can. Yeah, that's awesome. About uh, I'm just imagining you uh, you know creating an actual Matchbox 20 themed race with uh you know and what that would look like and have people come around for that uh, that would be interesting. I don't know if it's something you would want to do, but it would be interesting just to think about. But we could do it. I mean, I think if we got, uh, I don't, I'd still have to guess Matchbox 20 uh, would be a pretty penny to, to get them there, but maybe we could get a local cover band to come out and play some Matchbox 20 songs. Yeah, and the funniest thing uh, about that was uh, when we were at Maryland, they played uh, a show on uh, campus at Maryland, I think. Uh, and uh, I think Mark McGrath shouted out to the crowd at the beginning of the show, uh, hello, Baltimore, and uh, I think that didn't go over so well. I think I think <laughs> I remember what you're talking about. I think I think that might have been Eve six, and uh, if it's the if it's the same one I'm thinking of, it was on uh, Chapel Field, and right. I remember Eve six playing, and he kept yelling Baltimore, and everyone was booing, uh, and the drummer finally goes, I think they're upset because you're calling them Baltimore, and, and then he said, I don't really care, I'm going to keep calling them Baltimore. Uh, yeah, I, I never really understood, you know, being in College Park at that point. I'm like, well, you could just say Maryland. Uh, don't even have to say Baltimore. Oh, you know, I am totally getting it mixed up. Uh, I'm thinking of Mark McGrath, but that wasn't uh, Matchbox 20 because that was Rob Thomas. I'm trying to, I can't even remember the name of the band now. I can see them. But oh, Sugar that's all Ray. Good. Sugar yeah. Ray. It was Sugar, Sugar Ray. That's what it yeah, was. Sorry that was about at, that. Uh, at Art Attack the one year. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I totally I get the two of those mixed up at that point. Uh, pretty lead singer, uh, pretty boy lead singers. That's all I can think of. <laughs> kind of <laughs> a good go way together to for me. So uh, you, you've been very generous with your time, Ryan, and I really enjoyed unpacking your your story. Uh, before we get towards the the fun cool down questions and wrap this up, I just want to get down to, I guess, what this is all about for you. I mean, when you think back on your life as a runner uh and you know as you're looking towards sort of the next phase of your life you know why do you run i mean what is the you know what sort of does you know does all this mean for you at this point i think i would have answered that at one point uh because i didn't know what else to do 
And now I, I run because it's, it, it gives me life. You know, I, when I go out and I run, um, you know, I, I love running in the woods. I like running by myself. I'm so fortunate that I can run with my friends every day. I've got friends in the neighborhood. I can run down to Graham's house and, and we can go for a run. Uh, you know, it's, it's this lifestyle that I, I wish everybody had something like it, whether it's running or swimming or riding a bike or, you know, something not even athletic. I just, you know, you want people to live with passion. And I think when you find that, uh, you want to hold on to it. You want to do everything you can to be the best you can at it. But even when you realize, Hey, look, like I'm doing the best I can, uh, am I still having fun? And, and I still have fun. I, I do a ton of events. I love going to watch people run. Uh, I probably go to more races to watch than I do to run at this point. You know, I go to, uh, to the big marathons every year. I'll jump in and run a few miles with my friends. And, and that's why I keep, keep doing it. I think if, um, you know, if I can still be running 30 years from now, I'll be, I'll be pretty happy. I don't know what that's going to look like. I always remember seeing the older guys, the guys in their sixties and seventies when I was growing up and thought, man, that's, that's insane that they're still running. And, uh, you know, you see why it's a, it's a lifestyle. So, uh, I'm, I'm a lot more tame and I know what my limits are now. I ride my bike a lot more than I run and riding, riding's been, uh, been great for me just to keeps me fit. Uh, you know, still allows me to race and do things that I want to do. So just finding, finding that balance. Yeah, that's definitely, uh, something we can all aspire to just to be able to, you know, it, there's a certain vitality we get from from doing all these things and and just being around it. Uh, so to be able to keep it up as long as we can, uh, I'd hope that's something we can all do. Uh, and again, you're a goal-oriented guy. Uh, for 2020, uh, are there any sort of goals that you've set out for yourself for the rest of the year? Yeah, so uh, since it is an even year and it's on the every other, I'll be going back to survival of the Shawanguns in September. So that's going to be a big one. Um, I have a couple of, uh, couple of races that I do in the, in the winter months. So club challenge is one I'll be at the BRRC eight miler next weekend. That's a good, good kind of tune up race for club challenge. Uh, I'll probably go out to Tim Kennard 10 miler, uh, in Salisbury in March. And then, um, you know, my, uh, the friend that I did the grand Canyon trip with, he and I are are getting on that train of talking about doing an Ironman again this year. So uh, at this point, it would be seeing which ones are open and which ones make sense to go to. Uh, but then, you know, most of your year goes into training for that. So uh, that might be that might be something I'm I'm doing this year. Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, you know, to be able to kind of scratch that itch again, where it's been a few years since the triathlon, and uh, you know, I'll definitely see you at a few of those races. Uh, some of those are on my list too. So Ryan, uh, again, this has been a, a great conversation. I've just got a few sort of fun little cool down questions here to wrap it up. If you're yeah, ready let's do it. All right. Uh, so your friends seem to like to pi uh, post pictures of you running, uh, well, pretty much nearly naked. Uh, is that sort of uh, a thing from your triathlon days that, uh, you know, you just kind of like to go out, uh, you know, with, with as little drag as possible? Uh, I'll say this. I think it's hilarious. And, you know, obviously I don't have much shame, so I have no problem with those pictures being out there. Uh, when triathlon was coming up in the eighties, I mean, that's what people raced in. It was, it was, uh, like speedo briefs. And if they wore a top, it was a, it was like a crop top. 
And so the very first triathlon I did, that was all I knew. I had this green Speedo that I bought from DeSoto Sports. And that thing lasted me. Uh, I still wore it this past season. I think at this point, it's like completely dead now. It's very stretched out. But uh, I, I think it's hilarious. And you know what? It's it's kind of my, my calling card. People know that I'm going to be there. I love hearing people laugh and giggle in the, in the background like, oh, my God, can you believe that guy's wearing that? And uh, it's just fun. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, you got to embrace it after a while. And uh, so, and again, you like to organize things. Uh, is there sort of a run or maybe a triathlon or swim run adventure you'd like to organize that you just haven't gotten around to yet? Um, the the one that I would love to do, and obviously it's all dependent on the the Inner Harbor water, but I would love to do uh, what I've what we've called the Extreme Harbor Challenge. It would be uh, it'd be a bike ride from one side of town to the other, so probably starting in Canton, riding around to Fort McHenry, uh, jump in the water, swim across from Fort McHenry to the, the dock on the other side on Clinton Street, and then run up to like Canton Square. Uh, you know, it wouldn't be a very long race, but I, I think it would be a very Baltimore, uh, like a nice little loop in Baltimore. That would be a, a really cool race to do. Um, but we've also talked about doing some trying to do like a, a, a biathlon of sorts where you're running and riding and it's a partner race. Uh, we've talked about doing it in a, in a mall parking lot where you'd have, you know, you wouldn't have many cars if you did it on a, you know, at nighttime or something. Uh, but just do, do hot laps in, in a parking lot and, uh, try to do something like that. So I, I want to expand from just, just running races to try and incorporate a few more things on, on, uh, on two wheels if we can this year. Yeah, uh, I definitely like the idea of the Extreme Harbor Challenge. It's got the right uh, name as well. That'd be good for branding, definitely. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think Extreme Harbor Challenge, uh, you know, in the next couple of years, hopefully we'll be able to clean the harbor up to make that happen. But if not, maybe, uh, you know, somewhere like Annapolis, somewhere uh, that might have the proper conditions, I think you could be able to do it. Uh, could probably have a series of them in different towns. What do you think? Oh, they'd be awesome. You know, I think short races that that welcome anybody regardless of their you know their level of fitness are what it's all about yeah definitely uh and again uh you seem to like to go and do races in other places uh, uh, are there any races or uh you know other athletic adventures that you kind of have on your list now that uh, grand canyon has been checked off uh, what are some others you might want to do in the next 10 years um, you know, I, I've, I've had a lot of friends in the last couple of years do some, some pretty major, uh, trekking. I don't know that I'm, I'm a real trekker. Like, uh, one, one guy we know just, uh, took six months and, uh, I think it took him less than that, but did the Pacific Crest Trail. I'm not sure that that's going to be something that is realistic for me, but I think something along those lines, uh, a couple people we know have done the, um, you know, the four state challenge on the Appalachian trail where you cover the, I don't know, it's about 40, 40 plus miles and you go from through West Virginia, Virginia, Maryland, and Pennsylvania. Um, I think that'd be kind of cool to, to do and see if you could, could push. But, uh, you know, for the next, for the next little bit, I think maybe more traditional racing, like maybe the Alpe d'Huez triathlon, uh, in France in July, which, you ride your bike up Alpe d'Huez in the middle of this triathlon is probably one that I'd like to like to see myself be able to do. Yeah, that that sounds pretty cool. Uh, I definitely like the idea of uh, 
trying to get to do a race or two uh, in another country. That That's just the experience part of that would be pretty awesome. And uh, yeah, I don't think I'm ready to, to follow in Brad Leatherbearer's uh, steps <laughs> either. Uh, he shared his story uh, a few episodes ago here, and uh, that that's a total commitment that uh, as much as I like to run and be outside, that's uh, more than I can care to do at this point. Yeah, it's really impressive. It's yeah, absolutely. I was I was blown away by that story. So uh, just in your athletic life or just life in general, uh, what are you most grateful for right now? Um, you know, I'd say that the ability to keep doing what I enjoy, um, you know, there's been a few times where I've really thought this is the end and I've got to come to peace with that. And, you know, maybe I won't be able to go back out there. And I've really been uh, I'm, I'm proud of the way that I've I've addressed it each time. And, uh, you know, I, I go out and try to enjoy the runs and not get as, you know, built up on, uh, well, I didn't run this fast or something. But, uh, you know, I had a great example the other night, ran with two guys who have run four minutes or under for uh, for a mile. And we were running probably 745, eight minute pace. And just the fact that, you know, we all share the same thing and we're all just going out for runs and having having chat time like that's that's what I'm I'm most grateful for. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I think that's a great place to sort of land this plane. Uh, Ryan, again, I want to thank you so much for being so open and for sharing your story and allowing us all to get to know you a little bit better. Uh, definitely a fixture around that anyone in the local running scene has probably encountered you at some point. But, uh, you know, to get to know your story has been uh, a pleasure for me uh, to here and to be able to share with others uh, uh other than run baltimore uh is there any other way people could follow you on social media or uh, maybe learn more about falls road racing team stuff like that yeah i'd say the uh you know the the best way is uh is shoot me a message run baltimore at gmail.com or uh twitter or instagram uh, as i mentioned twitter is be more running so that's the one where i don't have run baltimore but uh, I always encourage everybody to come out and just even come to a run. Mondays or Tuesday nights are some of our bigger runs, and uh, you know we we always welcome everybody and uh, hope that they feel invited to uh, to come out and and make it part of their routine. So um, you know, goes for you, Glenn. Anytime uh, you want to come out and join us, we're we're happy to have you. I really appreciate what you're doing here for for Baltimore running and uh, I've listened to some of the the shows and they've been uh, been great and it's it's a great opportunity for me to find out more about the people I already know about uh, but you're you're asking some great questions so so keep it up yeah thanks for that Ryan and uh, I'll definitely look for you at the eight miler in the club challenge and uh, you know we'll chat again soon uh, I think after uh, you uh, do maybe some of these races we'll have to have you come on to do a report and share the experience yeah, sounds great. I said, Daddy, what am I to do? Be the very best man you can. He said, be the very best man you can. And when you're gone, make sure they don't remember you. When it's all said and done, they're gonna know my name. When it's all said and done, they're gonna know my name. Before we wrap up episode 32, I want to thank those who helped to make it possible. Thanks to Frank Sinappi, Rachel Rosenblatt, and Langston Gash for sharing your experience at your recent races. Thanks also to Bob Hilson from the Baltimore Pacemakers for sharing information about the upcoming Maryland Half Marathon in late May. 
be sure to check out their Facebook page for training tip videos each week before this year's race. And a big thanks to Ryan McGrath for sharing your running story. I look forward to participating in that Extreme Harbor Challenge one day. Check Ryan out on social media, or better yet, show up at a Federal Hill Run and let him know what you thought of his interview. And a special thank you, as always, goes out to the Kelly Bell Band for the use of your music in the podcast. Go to www.kellybellband.com for more information on this incredible group and find out where they'll be playing next. Check out their new video for their song, First Moments, on their website. Last but certainly not least, I want to thank each and every one of you for your support of the podcast and for telling your friends about it. I make this podcast for you, and it would not exist without your support. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with a new episode, but until then, I hope to see you running around Baltimore. I had to get-